It's difficult to fully understand things that are unseen. We are not only physical, but spiritual as well. So there is a part of me that is invisible. There are also realities out there, such as angels, demons, heaven, hell, and God himself. We interact with these invisible things on a daily basis. They shape our lives and our decisions, but we often don't know much about them. It's time we discover. It's time we discover. It's time we discover. Half of me is invisible. Welcome, everyone, and it's uh, good to see you. I'm sorry that you're soaking wet, uh, but I wanted to announce that we're going to raise money for a carport this weekend. It's, a, it's $100 million, but you can just make the check out to me, and I would, uh, I'll get that built right up for you. Uh, we're, uh, we're starting a series this weekend called Half of Me is Invisible, and what we're doing in this series is really kind of fascinating. We're looking at the invisible realities that we actually live in. Uh, most of our life is the invisible side of our lives. And most of the things that we care about, most of the things we value, aren't the, aren't the tangible things or the invisible things. And God addresses this. God tells us that this is true. Uh, God tells us, shows us kind of how to walk through this part of our reality and uh, uses his word and his Holy Spirit uh, to make those connections with us. So we're going to spend a few weeks digging into the unseen or the invisible side of our, of our lives. Now, when we think about this, it's very interesting in our culture, we live kind of schizophrenically in, in this world, in our culture. There's a side of our culture that is very much uh, an empirical side. It, remember that definition from high school? Empirical evidence is evidence that you can see, touch, measure, prove. Basically, you observe it, see it, test it, measure it, prove it. So there's an empirical side of our culture that would affect all of us. And then there's a spiritual side of our culture that affects all of us. And generally, we tend to kind of waddle in between both of those things. Sometimes we're very empirical in the way that we think, and sometimes we're very spiritual in the way that we think. So there's that empirical side which says, if you can't prove it to me, if you can't show me from history, if you can't do the math, if it doesn't pass a literary test, then forget it. I, I will have nothing to do with it. I won't believe it. And what we do, because we're kind of wired this way as a culture, we'll tend to bring those ideas into our relationship with God. By the way, this is not negative. It's just the way it is. And some of this is very, very healthy. So we'll bring kind of that idea, those ideas into our relationship with God, where we will, we will look and say, well, I, wanna, I want you to prove to me that the Bible is accurate and true. I want, you, I want you to show me evidence that Jesus rose again from the dead. Uh, I want to know the biographies of the guys who wrote the Bible. I'm just not going to blindly accept something. If you say the Bible says it, then you've got to show me the Bible says it. Like, prove it to me, right? And that's not all bad. Uh, that side of our kind of cultural personality is uh, sometimes what keeps us from being governed by our emotions. Uh, it's what causes us to be skeptical in a healthy way. So that when we see like the magic pancake flipper, you know, on late night TV, we know it doesn't work kind of thing. And I, maybe I busted some of your bubbles, but it doesn't work, right? And so there's, there's a healthy side to that. And there is empirical evidence that you can bring to bear 
on to certain spiritual truths. So for instance, uh, I can show you how the Bible passes every literary test you can put it through. When you look at an ancient document, the Bible passes and surpasses all that. There's more evidence and literary tests that the Bible is accurate and true than there is for Plato or Aristotle. All day, every day, the Bible passed that test. The Bible will pass archeological tests. And this happens all the time. People read the Bible and say, well, we can't find that in the sand anywhere. Well, then suddenly they find it, right? It happens all the time. The, the, the evidences of the Bible, if you take the evidences that Jesus rose again from the dead, <clears throat> you take those evidences and those eyewitnesses and bring them into a modern day court of law, the jury would have to side with the fact that Jesus indeed, indeed rose again from the dead, right? It, it'll pass that test all day, all day, every day. And you can get into the sciences, right? So you can say, well, I don't, I don't believe the Bible because of science. Well, if you open up your mind and you, you really put things through empirical testing, you can look and say there is an extremely valid argument for intelligent design, right? And it'll go to toe-to-toe with evolutionary theory all day, every day. So that, that, kind of, that kind of side of our personality as a culture is actually healthy. I don't, I don't want to be negative about it. It's, it's kind of how we're wired, how we think, and there's a good side of that even when it comes to our relationship with God. Here's the thing with it, though. It's not that it's unhealthy or wrong. It's that it's incomplete. There are sides of us as human beings that are invisible. There are things about us that you cannot explain, that you cannot quantify, that you cannot prove, that you cannot put into a math problem. And those parts of us are the parts of us that we actually value. They're they're not weird, they're not mystical. They're the way that we live all the time. We just don't think of it as being intangible because it's so normal for us. So for instance, let me give you an example, an easy one. Laughter. Why do you laugh? What is the biological anatomical reason why somebody laughs or why something would strike you as funny? You can't measure it. Why do I think certain things are funny and you don't think they're funny? What's the difference? If it was all empirical, we would all think the same things are funny, but we don't, right? I think America's funniest home videos are the funniest things that have ever happened in the history of the world. And I'll watch them and I'll just start laughing. And Heidi will look at me and she'll say, what are you laughing about? I'm like, the guy just got bit in the face by a yak. That's hilarious, you know? And she's like, he's bleeding. I'm like, even better, you know? And she's like, you're a jerk. And I, but right, so what, what is that? What, what is that response? It's not a biological response, right? It's not an instinctual response. It's an it's a invisible part of, of who I am. Here's a, here's a deeper one, right? Your connection to your children. What, what is it that causes you, me, I'll use me as an example, I don't, I don't really like kids that much at all, right? Never wanted them. My first son was born and all of a sudden, I love him. And then my other five children were born. I went from the guy that didn't want kids to the guy can't have enough, right? Because what? Something happened. Was that biological? Or was that spiritual? Is there an invisible side of me that actually is very much a part of my reality? It really defines me in many ways, but I can't measure it 
but it's, it's ingrained, it's a part of my humanity. Now, what happens is this. If you start thinking about it and you open up your mind a little bit, we'll kind of quickly agree that we're like this, right? Love, relationships, compassion, sympathy. These kind of things are very much a part of who we are, purpose, meaning, very much a part of who we are, but they're not tangible. But these are the things that we tend to care about the most in our life, but they are the invisible things. And if you start to think about it, you start to realize, well, wait a minute, if, I, if I'm honest, I'm actually more spiritual than I am anything else. The, the spiritual side, the invisible side, the intangible side of me is where I spend most of my life. The physical sides of me generally just express the spiritual side of who I am. And as we begin to think that way and recognize those, those truths about us, what happens is, without maybe even realizing it, we're actually starting to agree with God. And what God says about who we are as human beings, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse seven says, the dust returns to the ground where it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. God, when he created us in Genesis chapter two, formed humanity from the dust of the ground. Human beings did not become human beings until God breathed life, or the Hebrew word is spirit, into them. They weren't human beings because there was flesh and bone and muscle and, you know, we're mostly water. We don't think of ourselves that way. We don't describe ourselves that way. It's when the spirit of God was given to us, or God breathed what we would call life into us, that we became the creatures that we would recognize and think about now. When I talk about myself, I'm not talking about my body. I'm talking about my, we would say heart or our soul is how the Bible would say it. We're thinking about the inner parts of who we are. And the Bibles would say, right, right. That's what it means to be a human being. And that's the level in which God most frequently and clearly interacts with us. In fact, it's God himself who created us this way. Let me show you here. Uh, grab your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the Bible's in the chairs there. If you want to use those, it's page 804 in those Bibles. And if you're uh, electronically, use the Version app. You can open that up or download it. Hit live. Our zip code is 44333. We're Grace Church when you see the list of churches there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 16. This is God explaining this to us. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is Eternal, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Verse four, 
For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed but clothed instead in our, our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul is saying, hey guys, listen, you are spiritual. In fact, we know this about ourselves, right? The Bible compares the body to a tent. Our bodies are, are vehicles, right? They're, they're containers. They express the heart, but they don't define it. And every human being will one day put the tent away. The, the body will return to the dust, the ground from which it came, right? But we, us, we are eternal. We will either live forever with God in heaven or be separated from God forever in hell, depending on how we interacted with Jesus during this lifetime. We will take what is mortal, what is temporary, and that will be swallowed up by life, the life that we were fashioned to live with God. It's God who made us this way. God knows that he created us mostly spiritual. He knows that the earthly, the physical, is all temporary. It will all go. It will all pass. But the unseen, the internal, the eternal, the invisible parts of us will live forever. In fact, we were created to function in that way. Now, to that end, then, as we interact with God, we're interacting with him spiritually, right? Spiritually. So when God interacts with us, he is less concerned about the physical, the temporary, and gravely concerned about the spiritual. So for instance, to that end, Jesus came to earth. He lived perfect life, died an innocent death, rose again triumphantly. He provides salvation for our sin. He came to rescue our souls. He didn't come to rescue our bodies. He came to rescue our souls. When I accept the forgiveness of my sin and I accept Christ as my savior, it's my soul that is changed. I don't become Superman. I, I, I don't become you know, immune from all sickness, immune from all death. I, I would never wanna look at God and say, wait a minute, I accepted you as my savior. How come I got sick? How come I have cancer? How come I got the flu? How come... Because Christ would say, well, wait a minute. Well, that's, that's the temporary. I, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about that. I'm concerned about the eternal, and I came to save your soul. You think about from salvation forward, if you're a follower of Christ, now you begin to interact with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides and directs, comforts, steers, convicts our Soul. The Holy Spirit isn't, isn't a, a force field that goes out in front of us so that the bullets don't hit us, right? The Holy Spirit is one who steers us, who brings God's word and helps us to understand it. And then you go all the way to the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, the Bible is not a self-help book, right? It's not a, it's not a three ways to get rich from Jesus kind of a thing. Or the, how did Jesus diet? That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is meant for the soul. If I don't interact with it spiritually, if I don't receive the Bible through the reality that most of me is spiritual, 
then I won't even interact with the Bible in a healthy or a correct way. In fact, the Bible says that to us. Let me just read this to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God or the Bible is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Bible isn't here so that we can make life better because the Bible is actually a terrible self-help book. Oprah would have never written the Bible. Dr. Phil would have never, it's an awful self-help book. When the Bible says, hey, listen, if things are going bad in your life, enjoy it. Count it as joy, it's good for you. Nobody wants to read that, right? When the, when the I, I wanna know how to get out of debt. What's three easy steps from the Bible? The Bible's like, you wanna get out of debt? Yeah, give all your possessions to the poor. Nobody likes that part of the Bible, right? There's all kinds of things in the Bible that aren't about me feeling better on the planet, but there's everything in the Bible about me aligning with the heart and the mind of God, me positioning for eternity, me recognizing the reality that I am mostly spiritual. And so as God speaks to me, I receive his word that way. He would look and say, listen, you were fashioned for eternal life, your earthly life, even if you have a long earthly life, it's going to stop sooner or later. And what is mortal is going to be swallowed up into real life, the reality. Death exposes the reality of how we actually live. And in that reality, I'm gonna shape you, I'm gonna guide you, I'm gonna express my heart to you so that you can interact with me and be formed and shaped by me as the creature you actually are, a spiritual creature, because most of you is invisible. Now, it's fascinating. The Bible not only explains ourself to ourself, but the Bible also goes and explains how the world works, what the reality of the world around us is flip over in your Bible to Ephesians chapter six, <clears throat> and you'll see this. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter six. Not only is most of me as an individual invisible, but the Bible will go on and say, actually, guys, most of what happens in the world is invisible. The world is more spiritual than it is Anything else, verse 10, chapter six, Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. When we look around at the, the, the trouble of the world, we are not just simply seeing a, a madman act in selfish ways. We're not seeing one government that, that uh, is warring against another government. We're not simply seeing economic cycles. The Apostle Paul said, no, 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 don't, don't simplify it to that. What you're seeing are the schemes of the devil that play out, and you're seeing a spiritual war, you're seeing the enmity that exists between God and Satan. 
And it plays out on geopolitical levels as nations rise against nations, as atrocities. And then it plays out all the way down into the neighborhood. The epidemic of fatherlessness is a spiritual issue. Poverty ultimately is a spiritual issue. Marriage, divorce, drugs, crime, all spiritual issues. All the things that we would worry about or be concerned with as social ills in our nation are spiritual in nature because most of how we live, most of what affects us is invisible. Now, this is a big deal because as you go to bring solutions to those problems, if you, if you remove God as an equation, if you insist that our world is only physical and so I'm only gonna address the physical problems, then the answers that you bring to bear are going to be incomplete, they're going to be irrelevant, and they're going to be impotent. Because you cannot address the condition of man unless you're willing to address the heart of man because the condition of man is defined from the heart of man. And if I'm not interacting with the spiritual world, if I'm not interacting with the spiritual nature of a human being, that any solution I bring to bear isn't gonna solve it. We can throw trillions of dollars at it, we can lock tens and hundreds of thousands of people up, we can live in denial, it's not gonna change a thing unless we address reality, see? The same thing's true for you. Unless you address the reality of the spiritual side of who you are, then nothing you do in life is gonna satisfy you. You can be the wealthiest, most successful, uh, mo most uh, financially secure person on the face of the planet, but if your wife doesn't love you, you're going to be miserable. You can, you can have the most booming career, be the most popular person on the PTA, be the most, most showy person in your neighborhood, but if your kids are malfunctioning, you're going to be miserable. You can have every degree known to man, but if you don't have a friend, you're going to be miserable. And you can bring every solution that you can try in, in the world to have your life be better. You can be the fittest person on the planet, the most attractive person on the planet, the most intelligent person on the planet. I know I struggle with these things myself, right? <laughs> but if your soul isn't satisfied, you talk to someone who has lost it all and found Christ, and they will tell you, I'm so glad I lost everything. You, thought, you talk to someone who's had a health crisis where they thought they were going to die, they will tell you, when I recovered from that crisis, my priorities were the invisible, not the physical. I didn't care about my house, I didn't care about my job, I didn't care about my car anymore. I cared about my family, my children, my friends, and people's eternities. Why? Because most of us is invisible. The things we actually value in life are the invisible things. The things we actually long for in life are the invisible things. And it's the very things that God meets, God defines, God directs, and the things that he wants us to connect to. So we're going to zero in on this for the next few weeks. And we're gonna spend a few weeks talking about the invisible parts of our lives 
and the invisible parts of the world around us. So next weekend, for instance, we're going to talk about angels and demons. They are very real. They're very real. But what are they? How do they work? How, how do they affect me? What am I supposed to do? So we're going to have that conversation next weekend. The weekend after that, we're going to talk about heaven. Heaven is a very real place. It's not like the movie as much as we might think, but it's a very, very real place. <clears throat> what should we think about it? What does the Bible tell us? So God tells us about the invisible world. He tells us about heaven. Hell is also for real. Nobody ever writes a book on that one, but hell is also for real, right? And it's a, it's a huge impact and influence on our life. What should we do with it? How, how should we think about it? What does the Bible say? And then the last weekend, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit affects you every moment of your life. Did you know that? And how do you interact with him? What are you supposed to do? Why was he given to us? How, how do we know? See, and what do we know? So we're going to talk through these invisible pieces of our lives. Our conversation, though, and where I kind of want to land us this weekend with the invisible realities of our life, the spiritual realities of our life, has to start on a very individualized basis. So the question becomes, what is the status of my soul? What about my invisible realities? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all, for it determines the course of your life. My awareness and my embrace and my connection to who God is and what he's doing in my heart determines the realities of my life. And, and, and that is extremely true. And this is where the schizophrenia tends to show up in our culture. This is what I found. I found that when I want and need God, I believe very strongly in the invisible. But when I do not want to be interfered with, I demand the empirical evidence. It's fascinating. See? So there's times when I will not be satisfied until you can prove it to me. And if you trace that back to its root, it's usually because God is wanting an influence or demanding a, an obedience in my life that I don't want to give him. So I, I should, I should uh, let God define my morality. No sex outside of marriage. I should be tithing. I should be loving. I should be serving. I should be forgiving my enemies. You know, I don't even know if I believe the Bible. Prove it to me, Right? And times when we don't want God's influence in our life, we'll kind of run over here and say, aha, here's my reasons to discount that. But there's other times when I want that, I'm scared. Something's happening. God, rescue me. God, help me. God, show me. We'll look at each other and we'll ask for the invisible. Will you pray for me? Will, will, will you, do you love me? Will you care for me? Is God real? See, there's times when we want that, and we will step here and say, I actually want that to be true. I hope that that is true. I hope that there is a heaven for the person I love. I hope there's a hell for the person who has harmed so many people. And when I want God's invisible influence in my life, I tend to run to it. When I, when I kind of want to keep him at a distance, I tend to demand the evidence. I was with a friend, oh, it was probably 10, 15 years ago. We were on a long drive, and so he was trapped in a car with me, which is generally a negative experience. 
And so we were talking about God, and, and he, he, he doesn't believe in God, or he thinks he doesn't. He does. He just doesn't know it. And, and so we're talking about God, and so he, he was teasing me, and he said, he's like, Jeff, you know, people, people who believe in God, they're just simpletons, and they're dumb. And I look, I'm like, what are you talking about, you know? And, and so he's like, ah, we were arguing back and forth. He goes, I know you have all these degrees. He goes, but let's be honest. You only had to study one book. How hard could it be, right? <laughs> And I'm like, okay, fair point, fair point, you know? And so we were just laughing back and forth. And, and uh, he, he's like, he, he, he would say, prove it to me. So I, I did. You know, I gave him all the empirical evidence to touch it, see it, measure it, prove it, quantify it. And here's the literature, and here's the history, and here's the archaeology, and here's the legal, and here's all this kind of stuff. And, and he just wasn't buying it, still doesn't. And he said, you know, I, I just don't buy it. He said, listen, he goes, I, I, don't, I just don't want to believe it. He's just honest, and I just don't want to believe it. He said, when you talk about God, even when you talk in these terms, he says, it seems to me that your God is just a demanding, burdensome God who wants to control your life. And he said, I just don't see the point of interacting with him, so I'm not going to. Okay, all right. I said, well, now I get to ask you a question. He's like, okay. I said, you're telling me that the world is only the, the things that we touch in front of us, right? Like that, so we die, we just die. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I said, um, do you love your kids? He said, yeah, you know I love my kids. I know his family. You know, do you, you know I love my kids. I said, prove it. Prove it. He said, what, well, you watch me all the time. I think the world, my kids. I, I, no, no, no. I said, you got to prove it empirically. You got to quantify it, touch it, see, and you got to prove it. Well, I provide for my kids. I, I put a roof over their head. I feed my kids. I make sure they're safe. I said, you just described my relationship with my dog. Right? That's Twister's life, right? So I, I said, prove to me that you, you love your kids. And he knew I got him because he, he sped up and he, his blood pressure went high. And so, and I said, I said, dude, I said, you have to admit that there's an invisible side of life that you can't explain. I said, why, why do you love your kids more than my kids? It's not just that you care about kids. There's a connection to your kids that you don't have with my kids. Why? Well, it's a biological animal. I said, you just called your wife an animal and I'm gonna tell her, All right? <laughs> Come on, it's not biological, it's spiritual and you know it. He's like, well, I just don't know if I buy what you're saying. I said, I don't know, man. I said, when I think about your kids, they just sound like demanding, burdensome people who want to control your life. <laughs> I'd put them on eBay if I was you. <laughs> Guys, listen, we, we don't have to be weird or mystical or loopy to admit we're spiritual. It's, it's, it's not this weird thing where we have to meditate or burn in. We just are, and we, and we know it. it. It's not some big stretch to admit that this is a huge part of our humanity. And I actually believe if you have an open, honest mind, it's not a big stretch at all to believe that it's the majority of the human experience. That there are parts of us that you cannot quantify and define, and they are actually the parts of us that drive us. 
that define us as people. And God would look and say, right. And the more that you surrender those parts to me, the more that you receive and accept my explanation of them, the more that I explain yourself to yourself, the happier your life's gonna be, the more sense your life is gonna make, the security that you need in your soul can be found, and the hope that you long for, I'll explain it to you. I'll explain to you how to find it, I'll explain to you what it is, and I'll explain to you how to let that drive your life. I don't understand every detail about God. I don't. I admit it. I, 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 have, uh, I finished school last year. I, I've, I have, at that point, I had formally studied God for 36 years, and I still don't understand all the details about God. I don't pretend to, right? I know that there's a mystery but I, I wanna, I'm open-minded enough to realize that, well, that's kind of the way life works. I, I can't explain my love for Heidi completely. I can't explain my passion for my children completely. I can't explain why half my friends are my friends. Why do I like this guy? I can't explain it. Just do. There's a spiritual thing that happens within us, and it's a huge piece of our life. So when I am in mystery... I turn to the creator who fashioned me this way. And his answers are gonna make the most sense. His answers are gonna put me in the correct paradigms. And his answers are the things I actually long for and wish for in life. Many of us lost a friend this week, Pete Radke. And it wasn't 24 hours ago. We were in this room having his funeral service. Pete died a hero. He gave his life saving a girl who was drowning. Saved her and then Pete never made it out of the water. Incredibly tragic. Michelle, his wife, his four kids. Right? So here we are his family and friends, a bunch of you were here, you know, and, and we're having Pete's funeral. I don't know why Pete died. I, I, I do not have an answer for that, and I wouldn't insult your intelligence by making one up. Okay. Pete accepted Christ as a savior, was defined and directed by Jesus his whole life, and when he died, when his tent died, the Bible is very clear that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Pete immediately went into the presence of God. I believe absolutely without question that Pete Radke is alive and well. He's with Christ. He's actually living the life he was fashioned to live. What was mortal was swallowed up by life. Now his tent is put away. Right? But not, there's not one of us who love Pete who would look and say, that was, that's Pete. Pete's in the grave. We, wouldn't, we don't even think that way. You know, Pete's with the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Ready? I want that to be true. I can take the empirical evidence and I, as a part of my faith and 
theological things and I can take all of my fancy pieces of paper and I can construct it. But if you boil it down, I want there to be a heaven. I want there to be an eternity. I want to know that, that I'll see Pete again and more importantly that his wife and his children will see. I want to know that his life isn't over. In fact, if I remove that hope from my life, ready? I actually don't do very well as a human being. I become incredibly selfish, incredibly short-term minded, incredibly defeated because I'm denying a reality. When I infuse that reality back into my human existence, I grieve, but I don't grieve as one with no hope because of the reality of heaven, because of the reality of salvation, because of the reality of Christ. Most of me is invisible. And it's, listen, it's not really a big stretch to think that way. It's only when that, that schizophrenic side, like, I, I want it to be, yeah, we, we actually, we kind of do, we kind of don't. But if we would yield to the realities that this is me and not just me, it's us, and not just us, it's actually the world we live in. It's fascinating how quickly life changes because I'm embracing what is the majority of my humanity. I ask the band to come up. And as they do, guys, I just want, I want to ask you like a broad question. We're, we're launching the series, and so I want to give you like this broad scope to kind of chew on this week, okay? So here's the question. How healthy is the invisible side of you? The invisible side of us, the health part, starts with our relationship with God, okay? So it's me looking and saying, well, I'm a sinner. Christ is a Savior. Have the sinner and the Savior met have I received the forgiveness of my sin? Until I kind of kick off that element in my relationship with God, my answers for life are going to be, they're, they're going to be impotent. They're, they're incomplete. They're, they're, they're not going to have great value. They're going to be shallow. So I secure my salvation, and then I also receive at that moment what the Bible says calls the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the next kind of question of health. What, what is my relationship with the Holy Spirit of God like? Is the Holy Spirit governing me? Is he showing me? Am I following him? Am, am, I, am I receiving and downloading God's word and weaving it into my life? These are all the things that lead to the spiritual health. It's kind of the next level of depth. And then you move to the next level and you get into our relationships with each other because our relationships with each other aren't physical or spiritual. Right? My marriage to Heidi is not a legal contract. It's a spiritual devotion. My, my love for my children isn't a legal, oh, I got custody of them. It's a spiritual devotion. My relationship with you, my relationship with my friend, all relationships, they're not, they're not physical, they're spiritual. And when I deny or neglect the invisible side of me, 
So how healthy is the invisible side of you? Would you kind of embrace this reality? Open up your heart and your mind and see what God actually has to say and accept that paradigm. See how that would change you and your perspective on the world around you. So would you think about that? Would you pray about that? Would you be open to God's definition of that? And, uh, and maybe together we'll take this journey and understand how half of me is invisible.